Hello and welcome once again to Notations, Early Music Vancouver's podcast created to give you more insight about the repertoire and the artists in our live and digital concerts. Our next concert, Women of Note, will be live on March 4th at Christchurch Cathedral in Vancouver and released as a virtual concert on March 23rd for 30 days. To speak about one of the composers in this program, we've invited musicologist and keyboardist Christina Hutton to speak with a special guest. Hello, I'm Christina Hutton, and in this episode of Notations, my guest is Eleanor Fry. Eleanor is a wonderful Baroque cellist and gombist, uh, also a scholar and music instructor, and she is here to discuss uh, the life and work of Maddalena Laura Lombardini Searman, who was a late 18th century violinist and composer. Uh, Eleanor recently included her work in a graduate seminar that she offered at McGill University uh, about virtuosi performer composers in the time of Boccherini. Welcome, Eleanor. Thank you, Christina. Thanks for having me. Could you maybe start by just giving us a sense of Sermon's life in broad brushstrokes? Sure. Um, she is from Italy, from Venice, and she studied the violin at a young age and she caught the attention of Tartini, Giuseppe Tartini, who is now pretty much a household name and studied with him and then um, got married actually and sort of embarked on a touring life throughout Europe, first with her husband who also was a violinist and composer. And then she sort of went on her own and um, went as far as Russia um, and had a lot of ups and downs with her performing and compositions and eventually um, went back to Venice and uh, didn't really have a very active musical life. Um, there's not, from the time that she went back to Venice to when she died around 1818, there's not much um, activity, let's say. But the, so that's a really, really quick general overview of her life. Yeah. So uh, maybe we should start by just talking about um, was her life in any way uh, sort of normal for a woman in the 18th century? Was she totally out of the ordinary? Did she have some female colleagues? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think she was actually extraordinary. And it was rare uh, to have a woman with so much um, activity and professional attention. It, um, I don't find that there are so many examples that we know of right now with of somebody who is so prominent and active as a performer and composer. Um, but this is kind of where we're at with learning about music, especially us performers like, like um, you and me, <laughs> um, that probably, Christina, I don't know, I don't remember where you went to school or anything, but I imagine we had a similar background that when we were in school, we never heard about people like her. Um, and we only sadly heard about the most famous, usually white male composers like Mozart, who are so wonderful, of course, but um, 
the as time goes on, luckily this is changing and we're educating ourselves and educating the next generation more and more about um, lesser known now composers, but who had a big impact in their own time. And so um, I think Maddalena Lombardini-Sierman was well-known, appreciated. She made a big splash on the scene when she was touring. Um, and so we're sort of restoring her to her to having a place in the conversation and a place on, on the concert hall stage alongside the other many interesting composers of her time. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, she was so famous in her time that uh, Leopold Mozart heard her in concert and was so impressed that he actually wrote to his son about what he had heard. So how did uh, Sierman learn to uh, be a musician as a child? Yeah, so she grew up in Venice, and at the time there were these um, institutions called Ospedale, um, with the most famous one is the, the one that Vivaldi taught at. Um, and these were places where orphans, often orphan girls, would go and um, have musical training and have a home and they would perform and perform services and that was their way to sort of um, have some kind of status in the community as also um, go beyond their humble upbringing and to sort of have some kind of place in the in the world even if they were sort of stuck in these orphanages but at some point they became so revered that not non-orphans would often want to go there and get the education the musical education so Madalena Lombardini Sierman is an interesting case where when she entered the orphanage and I believe that she was one of two people who got a position, I guess, or was given a place in the orf in the ospedale. The this one was called the mendicanti. One of two out of thirty that auditioned, so she was an exceptional talent. Um, but at the time that she auditioned, she was not an orphan. She had parents, but I think this quickly changed, and she actually became an orphan soon after. I don't remember all the details, but she was an orphan later, before she was an adult, let's say. Um, and she was not born to a noble family or anything. So she had an extraordinary talent for music and for the violin, um, and she qu quickly became quite uh, important, I guess, in her community. and. She was noticed by Giuseppe Tartini, who lived in Padova. And right now you can take a train from Venice to Padova in about 20 minutes or less. So, but, you know, it's not super close, um, probably by horse or, or foot. I don't know how she, she would go there. But supposedly she would visit a few times, or at least we have record of a few visits. Um, and then there was also an extremely famous letter called Lettera uh, Maddalena Lombardini, and this letter from Tartini gives a rundown of all his top suggestions of how to become a great violinist. And so we use this letter today to point out some of the most salient points of performance practice, uh, Italian string playing in the mid-17th century. Um, and it's actually full of wonderful quotes and tips and um, anybody should check that out. 
it was quickly translated to English um, at, in her time, and it spread all over. And so this is a document that has been looked at and used by string players and, and musicologists and lots of people for a long time. So we know she was a favorite pupil of Tartini, and probably we can relate her style of playing to Tartini and his approach to the violin as well. So um, when she came of age, so to speak, uh, what typically happened to these young women who were being educated in these hospitales? What, what did they have uh, in the way of choices for uh, moving forward with their life? Um, some of them became lifelong um, musicians in the institution. They became t the teachers of the next generation and stayed on. Um, others got married and that gave them some status in the society. Um, but what was really tricky was it to be continue being a performer when you got married because traditionally at the, when a woman is married they wouldn't perform in public. And so actually Madalena Lombardini did get married to another musician named Lodovico Sierman and then had to get permission from a kind of council. Um, I can't remember if it's the council of the Mendicanti or of the actual city of Venice to allow her to continue to perform. So that, that was a rarity and that's also why I said I think she's exceptional for having kind of figure that out or just uh, breach that typical wall put in front of women. Um, but again, she had from a young age, a, a, quite a reputation and you know, star power, I guess. So she was married and changed her name or took on her husband's name. And then the two of them traveled as a kind of duo um, throughout Europe. So that is also why this particular person stands out. We just don't have other examples of people who made it into the public conscious through concerts, reviews, publications, um, touring, etc. So what did people say about her once, you know, she was there touring on the concert stages all over Europe? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, the, at first, she, she really was appreciated. Um, she played, for example, in Paris at least six times at the most important concert series called the Concert Spirituel. And um, people were just flabbergasted. I have a little quote from a reviewer uh, from 1768 um, who says that, quote, her violin is the lyre of Orpheus in the hands of a goddess. The beauty of tone, the expression, the style and the facility of her playing combined to qualify her among the best virtuosi.
it's not obvious to me anyway that that someone of that kind of star power as a performer would necessarily also be a composer do you mm -hmm. have a sense of you know why she might have chosen also to pursue that avenue um yeah i think that in the 18th century performing and composing came from the same person almost 100 percent of the time um, much more than today and even 100 years after her life in the 19th century um that you that the, the your compositions were a vehicle of performance it was the way that you entered a city and entered the public consciousness was to play your own piece um, it wouldn't be often even expected or enough to simply play somebody else's piece so which is also also why a lot of music written by a performer sometimes stayed in manuscript because of this sort of vehicle of performance idea, whereas the same composer-performer could publish, let's say, uh, a string quartet or a chamber music piece to be used by amateurs or professionals in other circumstances like a salon or concert, but um, the pieces that they would play themselves were just for themselves and stayed in manuscript. Um, so that's a sort of interesting divide, and we definitely see that with Baccarini, who didn't publish his cello sonatas, um, at least not very many of them, um, and his cello concertos as well, but published lots of other genres of music. If she wanted to play a new concerto, she would write it for herself. And so this is probably the case of these violin concertos, of which the EMV family will get to hear one. Um, in March, and a lot of her music was for her to perform. Um, and so this is a completely in line with the practice of male and all female composers of the, of the time, so not different from anyone else. Yeah, so you just referred to the concert that Pacific Broke Orchestra will be giving mm -hmm. in March, on March 4th, in fact, um, when you'll get to hear actually pieces by several of uh, Searman's close contemporaries, uh, musical colleagues. They they kind of range from noble women to uh, professional performers like Searman, some of whom performed professionally, um, as you as you mentioned, until they were married and then sort of disappeared from the public concert scene. But um, I was fascinated to find out recently that although she was this incredible violinist, uh, Searman also performed as a harpsichord soloist. Um, yeah, <laughs> amazingly. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah, I, I know that she convert she kind of converted to become an opera singer, which she like had enough of the violin and became a opera star. Um, at the middle of her career, but I didn't really know about the harpsichord. Say more. Well, apparently there's record. Uh, so one of J.S. Bach's sons, uh, J.C. Bach, was um, based in London, and he and a friend of his, the the gambist Abel, ran a concert series together. And apparently she performed on that series as a harpsichordist, um, and wow. probably elsewhere as well. So she was clearly. Um, a multi-instrumentalist and yes. yeah pretty amazing yeah it's so it's so fascinating um y you know 
the years go by in a, in a career, and I think a lot of people find themselves doing a variety of things. I know my main thing is performing cello, and that's what I love, but then I'm playing on the viola de gamba, and then teaching privately, and teaching in university, and then who knows in 10 years whether it'll sort of morph into other things. And I we can assume the same of an 18th century musician, although it's a whole different context, but that there's over time a big variety of ways to keep going as a performer and opportunities change, come and go and change. Um, the, the singing thing was interesting because it seemed when she started as a performer on violin, it was sort of uniformly accepted that she was very impressive and um, excellent. But the singing side did not get that response. She was, it was much more lukewarm. Uh, people did not seem to love her as much as a singer, but she kept getting engagements. She had enough to go around, and she performed operas even in St. Petersburg, um, you know, but did not have the same kind of big career as a singer. And um, this kind of was the beginning of the end in some ways, because then she came, tried to come back and return to being a violin soloist. Um, just a little less than 20 years after she had done her first touring. So around 1785, she started playing concerts on violin again. And this time, it, she was not met with such acclaim. She was criticized as being very outdated. Um, her style, which maybe was gentle or you know more Tartini-esque, was no longer trendy uh, 15, 20 years later. And she was cr criticized harshly. And I think that kind of led her to return to Venice, her hometown, and um, sort of stop overall. Um, so that's a kind of, yeah, interesting end of, end of career situation. Yeah, so she probably got caught in that, well, pretty profound musical change from, you know, being... Mm -hmm trained as essentially a, a Baroque violinist and then, you know, the, the massive stylistic change through the classical era and, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> alas. Um, yeah. You mentioned a husband and we've sort of lost him along the way. So what happened to that relationship? Yeah, so that was pretty unconventional as well. Um, f first, they, they toured together as a kind of duo in these concerts in... 1768, 69, 70, and beginning of 71. And she actually had a daughter with him whose name was, I believe, Alessandra. Um, and I think she was perhaps more interested in her concert life than her home life. And it didn't seem that that relationship was working. So they actually separated. And um, her husband, Ludovico, Ludovico Sierman, went back to Italy and sort of tried to have his own sort of career there, and he was raising the daughter while she continued to perform throughout Europe. And uh, over a decade later, when she returned to Venice, it was not to be with him or stay with him. Um, so they sort of from around, I think around 1772 on, didn't live together or have a relationship, but nor did they divorce. Um, but they just stopped having 
functional marriage. Um, so also unusual for the woman to continue the performing career and to not become the child caregiver. Uh, so that's a kind of like topsy-turvy situation there. So if you had to give a little bit of a sense of um, what one might expect if from from her music and from listening to a recording of her music, what is her music like? Oh, um... <laughs> That's hard. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I think that it sounds like a lot of galant uh, mid-18th century European music, Italian music. There's you know, simple soaring melodies. Let's say her music's not like unusual or something. Um, and when I was introducing students who for the most part had never heard of her, I w wanted to give her a good, a good launch, a good foot forward that, that maybe they would want to program her music in their concerts in the future. I mean, this is the next generation of programmers, performers, and so I played for them and tried to get them to sight read as well. Some music that I thought was, um, you know, full of vitality, lots of activity in all the parts, um, melodically charming. Um, I hope I'm describing the music that, it's really hard to describe music apparently. for introducing us to uh, Maddalena Lombardini-Sierman. Um, and I guess we can say we hope to hear a lot more of her music and, and that of her female colleagues on concert programs going forward. I agree. I think that um, you'll find, you listeners, that you love it and that um, it's a delight to, to hear, um, not just because she's a woman or lesser known and a discovery, um, but because the music is beautiful and um, fascinating and charming. And um, we were just so pleased, I think, to be able to finally give space and organize a concert of that includes this composer. Um, so I personally plan to play a lot more. I'm going to play one of her string quartets on tour next year. Um, 
and I'll be at the concert playing cello. So hopefully see you all there.